idea of this passage is that Christians invest today's resources in faithfulness to God. I'm sure on a day like today, you're wondering, how should I invest for the future? How should we invest what we have? Bill Gates says to save like a pessimist and invest like an optimist. I think most investors know that the goal is to buy low and to sell high. That's how you make money. So much work and energy goes into figuring out how, when, and where we should invest money and resources. I'm sure many of us wonder how we should use our money, how we should use our time, how we should use our energy. What's the best way to invest today's resources? Well, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're a stock trader or a Pokemon card trader, this message about investing from Luke 16 is for all of us. Our passage today is Luke 16, verse 1 to 13. And here Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. And this parable is related to, in some ways, the parables that he told in Luke chapter 15, just previous, where he talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son or the prodigal son. Now in this parable, Jesus teaches his disciples about investing for the future. But he's not talking about their retirement or what to do when they get old, but he's talking about investing in something much more important, and that's their eternity, how to invest in the future after this life. So let's start by reading the passage. You can follow along as I read Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 13. He also, as Jesus, said to, his, to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people receive me into their houses. So summoning the master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. 
One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. I think the main point, the big idea of this passage, is that Christians invest today's resources in faithfulness to God. If you're taking notes, but it's too fast for you, and you need a very simple version of the main point to the big idea. It's this, invest in faithfulness. Now, I'm going to talk about what we do with resources that God has given us, that Christians, we should invest them in faithfulness toward God. And it might be confusing as I go through to say that these, what we do is very important. Our works are very important. Now, they are important, but we don't want to be confused that this means that our works are what saves us. We are not saved by good works. Isaiah 64 says our righteous deeds or our good works are filthy rags. They're not only worthless, but they're repulsive. We cannot be righteous before God because of what we do. And we are saved by grace through faith. It is not something that we do, but it's what God does. However, once we are saved as Christians, God calls us to good works. And he even saves us to do good works as his ambassadors, as his representatives, as his children. So the expectation is that we would live a life of obedience. We would live the new life that God gives us in obedience to him. So please don't get confused as we go through today. But as we work through this passage, we want to look at uh, two points, two things this morning. The first one is that today's resources are tools. Today's resources are tools. This is from verses 1 to 9. In this passage, we see Jesus talking to his disciples. This is a slight shift from the previous chapter where he was talking to the whole crowd. And here he's talking to his disciples specifically. What we will see in uh, the next section, in verse 14, that the Pharisees are also listening in. They're offended by what Jesus says here. Jesus is addressing his disciples, but obviously the Pharisees and the whole crowd are listening in. So it's good to remember who Jesus is talking to as he's giving this example, as he's giving this parable. Now this parable focuses on a manager. The manager works for a wealthy man, and it says that he's accused of, in verse 1, that he's accused of wasting the master's possessions. The Greek word that's used for waste there means to squander, uh, which is similar to waste. And it's also the same word that's used in Matthew 15 to describe the younger son. He squandered the inheritance that he received from his father. He squandered it with reckless living. So that type of wasteful living is what the uh, manager is also doing here. And the master confronts this bad manager and tells him that his, he's being fired. He's being let go. So the manager's desperate. He doesn't want to do manual labor. He says in verse 3, I'm not strong enough to dig. He also doesn't want to become a beggar. He's ashamed to beg. So he needs another plan. 
And he comes up with this plan. Verse 4, he says, I know what I'll do. I've decided what to do. And the purpose of this plan is so that, at the end of verse 4, people may receive me into their houses. So he has a plan for his future. Verse 5 to 7, we see what that plan is. He calls in the debtors, those who owe his master money. And he decreases their debt. He says, oh, you owe a hundred measures of oil. Make it 50. Change it to 50. Oh, you owe a hundred measures of wheat. Make it 80. Change it. What is he doing here? He's making friends of these debtors. They now owe him because he decreased their bill. His last effort as a manager of the master's possessions. This last thing he did, as he still had authority, he changed what they owed. And he did this so that then they would owe him when he's no longer employed. And they would receive him into their house. He's going to be homeless when he's fired. He's going to be without a job. The only options are to work manual labor or to beg. And he doesn't want to do those. So he secures a future for himself using the master's money. He's supposed to be a steward of the master's money and possessions. But instead, he uses it for his own gain. Verse 8 says that the master even commends him for his shrewdness. I mean, yeah, even the master thought that this was a pretty good plan. Look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. He thought it was a good move. It was cunning. It was wise for that age and in those times. And then Jesus continues in verse 8. Look there with me at the second part of verse 8. He says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The sons of this world, this refers to the regular people, non-Christians, unbelievers, those who are not following Jesus. Where the sons of light would refer to those who are believers in God. And so I think Luke is saying here that people of the world know how to use money in a wise or shrewd way. They know how to use money for gain. People of the world know the rules of the game, if you will. The world surrounding money has certain rules. There's ways to navigate, and the sons of the world, of this world, know how to navigate that game, or they know the rules to use the rules to their advantage. However, believers are less wise in those methods. Now, verse 8 makes sense when we look at verse 9. Jesus continues, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. So here, Jesus is not saying that we should be dishonest like the manager. We should not find ways to use money to increase our power or to gain status or to live the lifestyles of our dreams. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying use money in a dishonest way to get what you want. What he is saying, though, that as sons of light, we should know how to use resources that we have as tools. We should know how to use the the world's system in a way to accomplish kingdom purposes, God's purposes. The point of this section is that today's resources are tools. The right tool is important for any job. I remember drilling a hole in the wall here at the house, and I used a drill that I wasn't familiar with. 
It took me forever. I was sweating by the time I was finished, and the hole was still not deep enough for what I needed. It was exhausting. I tried different bits and all these things, and I thought I was completely inadequate to drill a hole in my wall. And then I got a new drill, and I used it, and it was like cutting butter with a hot knife. It was so easy, and I realized I was using the wrong tool for the job. I was not using the tool properly, or I was not using the wrong, I was not using the right tool. But the right tool is important for any job. And God has given us resources to use as tools, not as the goal that we would collect as many tools as we can, or as many resources as we can, but that we would use them as His ambassadors, as His representatives. And as that, we're called to use today's resources for God's purposes to accomplish His work. Now, today's resources, what are those? What resources do we have? We have money, some more, some less, but we have money. We have time, energy, influence, talent. God has given us many things, many resources, and even if we feel like we don't have much money, it doesn't mean that we lack resources. God has given us these things, and He intends that we use them as tools for kingdom purposes. Now, verse 9 tells us that, that money can be used as a tool for making friends who will welcome us into eternal dwellings. It says, so, so when it fails, that is, unrighteous wealth, or which means money, when money fails, then, then they may receive you into eternal dwellings. And I read one commentator say that this making of friends... In verse 9, it says, make friends for yourselves. This making of friends is not just with all people, but it means we're to use money in ways that pleases God, so that when we please Him, He will welcome us into eternity with Him, into the eternal dwellings. He's the one who can welcome us into eternal dwellings. So the question then is, how do we please God with our money and our other resources that and follow what this verse says of, of making friends. When we see make friends, it means to please God. I think the biggest way that we can use money in this way and use our resources is through generosity. Generosity is key in pleasing God with our money and our resources. Someone who's generous freely gives of time and money and energy, even personal space. They give of these things to God and to others for God's glory and for His purposes. 1 Timothy 6 is very helpful in understanding this point. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 and 19. Here it says, Christians are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And also in 1 Corinthians 9, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. A generous person is someone who's characterized by giving cheerfully. And this type of generosity, of being generous, of using our resources well and being generous with them does not come from ourselves. 
we can try that on our own, but that type of the type of generosity that pleases the Lord comes from Him. And again, we need to remember that our generosity and what we do with our resources is not what saves us. This verse is not saying that we will be saved if we make friends with unrighteous wealth. But God is calling us as believers, as Christians, as disciples, to be generous with what we have, to use our resources as tools for His glory. So may God grow us to be generous with money, with time, with energy, for God's glory and for His pleasure, which results in our good. A few practical ways that we can be generous is living as members of WSBC, giving money to the church so that we can pay for the things that we have determined we need to pay for as a church. Also giving time, volunteering to help with kids or to usher or to man the book table. Another way is to look for needs around us outside of WSBC. I thought of today even, what if we see our neighbor's trash in the hallway, the trash bag in the hallway? Can we take it out for them? That could be one small way to be generous with our time and energy. Another way is to consider what job we have. It's possible that we might need to change jobs or change our schedule so that we have more time to spend with our family, more time to spend in discipling relationships. If we're not freed up to disciple others and to be discipled, then we might be working too much. We might be giving too much to this, to the unrighteous wealth. God has not called us to make lots of money, to buy lots of things, and, and to collect resources. Verse 9 says, when it fails, when these when money fails, when the unrighteous wealth fails. We know from the Bible that everything on earth is going to burn up. God is going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth. The old will burn. Remember, all these things we're collecting, we will not take with us into eternity, and they will burn. So we need to be generous with them. View them as tools, not as collector items, not things for us, but they are tools to use to please our Father in heaven. Now, it's one thing to use tools and resources, I'm sorry, to use money and resources as tools, but God has more in mind for us in the way that we deal with money and that we deal with possessions. He's interested not just in how we use our resources, He's interested in our heart. So point number two is this, faithfulness is the sure investment. Faithfulness is the sure or the guaranteed investment. Let's look again at verse 10 to 13. I'm going to read that section. And as I do, circle or count the number of times you see the word faithful. Verse 10 says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
I see four times at least that it says being faithful. And even verse 13, the same theme is there, being faithful to God. So we can see as a, a quick reading of this passage that faithfulness is very important to God. He takes it very serious. In verse 10, 11, and 12, Jesus uses three statements to put a spotlight on the manager's failures. So let's look at those. First, in verse 10, Jesus compares being faithful with a little and a lot to being dishonest with a little or a lot. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. So he's, he's saying, and I've heard it put this way, that money doesn't change you. It just makes you more of what you already are. Money doesn't change you. It just makes you more of what you already are. If you are generous when you're poor, you're most likely will be generous when you're rich. If you're selfish with a small salary, you will also be selfish with a larger one. The change of circumstance does not change the heart. Money doesn't change you. It just makes you more of what you already are. So we can hold this up to the manager and see that he was dishonest by telling the debtors to change what they owe the master. He was dishonest with much. His dishonesty was not forced on him by his circumstances, but it came from his heart. Next, in verse 11, Jesus says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? So here, Unrighteous wealth, again, is money. This is what we would call and refer to money. The currency that we use in the world. That he was wasting his master's possessions, and that's what the, the manager was, wasting his master's possessions, and that's what got him fired. He was not being faithful in money, in unrighteous wealth. Now, he was shrewd. He, he did act in a shrewd way to provide for his own future, but he was still unfaithful. No one in their right mind would trust him with their possessions after this event. And that's why Jesus says, who will entrust you the true riches? Think of it this way, if you're playing basketball or maybe tennis, and you're, you really want your, you want your opponent to lose, right? You're, you're playing to win. But sometimes they still make a good shot. Maybe in basketball they, they shoot from really far out or somehow they make a basket and you're like, whoa, that was a good shot. Or maybe in tennis they hit it and it's just barely in. And you're like, ah, that was a good shot. You might say good shot, but it doesn't mean you want them to win. You still want to beat them. It's similar with the, the manager being commended in that he was commended the the master commended him for his shrewdness. He was like, that was a good move. I'm still not going to trust you. We might say that was a good move with the debtors, but there's no way I'm trusting you around my money. He had lost trust because of his unfaithfulness with money. So we see from this that faithfulness with money has internal importance. And then look in verse 12 says, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So again, the manager fails 
And this time it's a failure of stewardship. Stewardship is caring for someone else's stuff, is watching over it. If you're going to travel outside of the country, you may have someone here steward your house. Give them the key and ask them to watch over it, to come check on it from time to time. Maybe even your bank account, they would give you, uh, you, you might give a steward the, your bank card or information so they can pay bills for you and manage your money while you're away and cannot access your bank account. That's what a steward is, and that's being faithful in that which is another's. And he was unfaithful in this. And we see that that was, uh, that, that that means that who would give you your own? Like, how could you be trusted? And then Jesus ends this section with verse 13, where he says that you cannot, he ends with, you cannot serve God and money. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So there are two options here. The manager in this parable was serving money. So he invested in unfaithfulness toward his master and toward God. But Jesus is calling his disciples to not be like the manager, but to be faithful to God. Not serving money, but serving God as faithful stewards of all that God has given them. We see in Galatians 5.22, where it lists the fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness is one of those fruits. So for Christians, again, we are not saved by our faithfulness or how we deal with money. But the way we deal with money is a fruit. It's an indicator. It's evidence of being a Christian. It's only by God's Spirit that we could, it's only His work that produces in us the kind of faithfulness that pleases God and that is responsible for the resources God has given us. And we see from Scripture that God also rewards faithfulness. Verse 10, 11, and 12, they talk about the faithful being given much, the transition from little to much. 11 talks about the faithful being entrusted with true riches. So God And God says in other passages as well, in other Scriptures, that there's a reward for faithfulness. Revelation 20 talks about God giving according to our works. Matthew 10 and Matthew 16 both speak about a reward for good works. And these good works are for those who are believers, who are living faithfully. Now, what level of faithfulness is expected? We see that in verse 13, the very end. It's total and complete faithfulness. You cannot partially serve God and partially serve money. But also think about the fact that God's greatest gift to us is Himself. God, through Jesus, gave Himself as a substitute for us on the cross. And God, in the Holy Spirit, gives Himself as a helper that we might follow and love God. So God's greatest gift to us is Himself. It makes sense then that our greatest act of worship, our greatest act of faithfulness toward God would be to surrender our whole selves, to surrender completely. 
Like it says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're called to present ourselves to God. Also in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. So this afternoon, or tomorrow, sometime soon, examine yourself. Ask the question, am I faithful to God with my resources, with my money, with my time, with my energy, with my influence? Am I using them as tools, and am I faithful to God with them? Am I serving God, or am I serving money? Serving money might look like making decisions that are based on money instead of what God says. Ask, have I invested my whole self to serve God? Am I completely in on serving God and not serving money? In this way, our faithfulness is the only guaranteed, it's the only sure investment. Now, I want to conclude with a note about this application of being faithful. Like many applications, the call to faithfulness is not a checkbox. We don't say, yes, now I'm faithful, and that one's finished, that one's done, what's next? Now, faithfulness is more like a direction. If your plan is to head west, you're traveling west, you don't look at a compass and say, yes, I'm traveling west, and then put the compass away and walk wherever you want to. There's a, a, a check back. Am I still traveling west? Am I still traveling the direction that I need to be going? And that's how it is with faithfulness. Faithfulness is a daily, lifelong journey in a specific direction. And that faithfulness direction is following Jesus. Jesus was faithful all the way to the cross. And we are following Him on that path as well. We are not going to die for sin, but we are going to die to our sin. We follow Him all the way there. And that's the journey of faithfulness. It's a, it's a direction. It's a path of following Jesus. It's not a one-time checkbox. And it's not easy as well. We cannot assume that the reward that comes for faithfulness comes in this life. It's reserved for us in heaven. You see in 1 Peter 1, it talks about our inheritance that's secured with God in heaven. He's holding it for us. And that's what we're investing in. That's what we're looking forward to. In this life, we will have struggle. We will have trouble. It will be difficult. The path of faithfulness is not easy. And it is not guaranteed to be easy. But it is guaranteed to be a sure investment, a good investment and worthwhile investment for us. So may, may we be faithful to the Lord in using our resources for His glory. I want to invest today's resources in faithfulness to God. Let's pray. God, we want to be faithful to You always. Help us to check ourselves well. And we ask that you would reveal any way in which we are not generous with our time and our money, that we are not faithful in some way. Please 
let us see that and we pray that we would be faithful to repent. We rely on you to put us on the true and faithful path of following Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.